Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crew at UGA podcast. I'm Kyler, a full-time staff member with Crew, and with me again this week for our Tuesday episode is Alan. Back in the saddle. Glad to be back at it. Yeah, glad to hear, man. All right, so today on the podcast, we're going to be continuing in our I Believe series. But before we jump into that, let's talk about Sharing Weeks, Alan. Oh, man, yeah. it's been so cool. It has been. Just hearing all the stories about how our crew students have been taking steps of faith and how God has really been showing up this week. It's been really cool because we did Winter Conference a week ago, and we talked yeah. about that a little on the podcast for those of you who aren't here at UGA. And we did this this past weekend, and one of the initiatives coming out of that is all over the country. Mm-hmm students taking the initiative to share with other people and that they're friends. And we're doing that at UGA too. And the stories have been great. Yeah. We're trying a strategy called Sometime where you can just text somebody or you can have a conversation with someone and say, hey, I'd love to talk more about spiritual life with you sometime and just leave that door open. Mm-hmm. We had a couple of students do that this week that they just texted a friend, yeah, kind of a, an invitation like that. And each one received a call back immediately. Yeah long conversation, spiritual conversation. And I know you've been out, I've been out with students having conversations, even sometimes with just random people on campus. And they've just been so rich Mm -hmm. and just people longing to talk and and open to answer questions. And, you know, I say this all the time. People get tired of hearing me say it, but I really do believe it's true. And it's especially true of our campus here at UGA. But I... I really am convinced that there are thousands of students on our campus who would love to have a spiritual conversation with someone if they could just find someone trustworthy to mm-hmm. have it with. That's so true. And I just feel like as they encounter us and, and sense that we are trustworthy, great conversations have been happening. So yeah. really yeah. thankful for that. Yeah, I really am too. It's just, like I said, it's just so neat to hear all the stories of how God's just doing his thing. You know, these conversations are happening, so it's really cool. So if you're listening out there, uh, there's a plug. We want to encourage you to to take the step of faith with us, mm-hmm. to share Christ with someone. Just try it, even if you've never done it. Just mm-hmm. try it. Pray and ask God to give you the opportunity, give you the boldness to step out and uh, see what he does with it. And so if you want more help with Sharing Week or you want to talk more about this, you can listen to episode 34 of our podcast. Uh, it's called Evangelism Training for Sharing Weeks. And it can get into some of the nitty-gritty on how you could do that. So, yeah, it's really good. All right, Alan. So let's get to our I Believe topic for the day. So with this series we've talked about on the podcast, we've been talking about different beliefs or doctrines that we as Christians believe. But not just we as Christians, the two of us in this tiny room talking into this mic. It's mm-hmm. not just us. It's, it's Christians all around the world for centuries who have believed these doctrines or these beliefs. Right. But... As we've talked about it with this series, we're not, we don't want to just talk about the beliefs. We also want to talk about the implications they have on our lives of how they change the way we live and what applications we can draw from these beliefs. So, Alan, with that being said, what are we going to be talking about today? Today, the doctrine we're going to look at is heaven. Alrighty. I believe in heaven. And that might seem a little strange to some people because, honestly, we all have this idea of heaven. Mm-hmm. But we don't talk about it directly that much. But maybe we should. Yeah, that's so true. And so as we were planning this series, we thought, you know what? This is actually a very impactful subject 
that we need to talk about, especially with young people. And so we decided we would go ahead and put this in our series. Yeah. All right, so Kyler, so here's how I'm going to start. And all of you at home can play along. Right. <laughs> okay. What pops into your head when I say heaven? I immediately think of like pearly gates. I think of clouds. I think of God in heaven. You know, uh-huh. I think of all the people that are Christians who have died being in heaven, but it's kind of hard to grasp. I've never seen heaven before. And uh-huh. so I'm like, what exactly is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. I, I think most people in America would think of clouds and harps mm-hmm. or <clears throat> some strange netherworld like in the recent Pixar movie, Soul. Yeah. Or do you remember the Whoopi Goldberg movie, Ghost? Did you ever see that? I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. Oh, it, I mean, it's more, more my age of a thing. But, you yeah. know, it, in that movie... If you're a bad person when you died, your soul kind of came out of your body and it turned all black and then got sucked into the earth. But oh if you're gosh. a good person, your soul came out of your body looking like this angel kind of thing and you kind of floated up this sunbeam. I mean, it was so stereotypical. Oh my goodness. Right? Yeah. And I just feel like when we think of heaven, that's kind of what we think of. Mm. Or this. Here's, here's another thing. I think a lot of us are loath to admit it, but when we think about heaven, we think about being bored. Mm. Right. Yeah, it's just a giant worship service. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Are we just gonna sit around like staring at God all day? Yeah. Uh, and it just—it's just such a, a stereotype, but also such a disservice to the real idea. Mm. So we're gonna talk about that a little bit. Will there be anything to do? What's it gonna be like? Mm. But there's a deeper reality to it that influences how we live our lives in this world that we need to get a grasp on. To really understand this doctrine, right? Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. First, I just want us to read a few passages from the New Testament that talk about the afterlife and what what is coming for a believer. So I'm going to ask you to read those, Kyler. I think I already gave them to you over there. Yeah. All right. We'll start with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord. So that was our first passage. Second passage, 2 Corinthians as well, but chapter 4, 13 through 14. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Then our last passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. There you go. So there's just three examples Mm -hmm. of how the New Testament talks about heaven. Now, let me ask you this. What do all three of those passages have in common as a description? Hmm. Man, it looks like heaven is being with Jesus. Yeah, that's it. That's right. Yeah. Every one of those passages, the essence of what it's talking about is being together with Jesus. That's what I want us to see. In passage after passage after passage, 
the way heaven is described is not as much in terms of a place as much as it is in terms of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Being with. Yeah. Being with Jesus, that's heaven. Being face-to-face mm-hmm. with God, that's heaven. Mm-hmm. Hell is likewise described in 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 10 as being without, mm-hmm. right? Being shut out from the presence of the Lord. Now, I'm pointing this out because I want us to dispense with all these silly stereotypes and images that culture heaps on us mm-hmm. and realize what Scripture points us to over and over and over again is the hope and state and blessing and triumph of being face-to-face with Jesus. And that is just the best possible thing right. that could ever happen to us. And that's how the Bible describes the essence of heaven. Now, that being said, if that's the essence of heaven, so is heaven a real place? Yes, it is. Mm. It's not just this concept. It's not just a state of mind, mm. right? right? I mean, when Jesus was talking to the disciples, he said, Behold, I go and prepare a place for you. Right. And, and he's actually using some imagery right there that I think is beautiful. When Jesus is talking about, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, and he's, he's talking about a wedding mm. image, actually, a Jewish wedding image, and that there's this, this traditional way that weddings would happen um, in Israel among the Jewish people at the time, and that a woman would come to live with her husband's family. An extended family would probably live all together in a series of small houses or maybe even a compound with a wall around it. But the way that would happen would be the couple would get betrothed and the man would go and prepare a place for his bride. The father would give him, say, a room, just a bare, empty room, storage room or something like that, and say, this is going to be the place where you and your bride are going to live. It's your job to prepare it. And so the young man would work hard. He'd clean it. He'd fix the walls. He'd make sure it was all prepared. And the dad would come in and he'd say, Father, is it ready yet? And the father would say, not quite yet. Keep working. And so he'd keep working and working. And actually, it was not as much preparing the room, perhaps, as preparing the young man's character to be a husband. But finally, that day would come that the father would be satisfied that you're now ready to be married. And he would come in and say, okay, this is ready. And the husband would immediately leave to go get his bride. And what they would do is they would go fetch the bride from her home. She would be all dressed beautifully. There would be a huge procession, and he would have an animal or something to bear her on. And he would parade her to her new home. And um, this was a beautiful scene. Of course, this also informs, you think of the parables about the virgins with the oil waiting because they don't know when the bridegroom will come. That's mm. kind of the idea. At some yeah. point, the bridegroom's going to come fetch the bride, but not till it's ready. Right. Jesus uses this imagery all the time. Mm. What he's saying there is beautiful because what he's saying is, church, bride of Christ, mm. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when the Father says it's time, I'm coming back for you. Mm. I'm coming back for you, my bride, Mm. and I'm going to take you to be with me, Mm. right? Now, it is going to be a place. It is going to be a dwelling. It is going to be a place that we have a real life. Now, we don't get a ton of details about what heaven may be like, although we do get some. But the way that the New Testament presents this doctrine is actually part of the overall arc of biblical history, okay? And the way biblical revelation presents itself, we often refer to it with four key words. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. I think you can kind of follow 
what's happening with those, right? But the fourth one, restoration, is something we don't talk about very much. What is that theological idea? The idea is that one day Jesus is going to return and things are going to be restored or set right to the way they originally were before our sin corrupted all of creation and all of us. Um, that idea of restoration is not just a setting right of our relationship with Jesus, but a setting right of us physically, a setting right of our physical world, a setting right of everything that was affected by sin, including creation. And when this restoration happens, things will be returned to what they were intended to be, say, in the Garden of Eden. Hmm. Um, and that's what Revelation often talks about. This restoration is a new life that we get to live yeah. in a, a restored environment. Part of this is we're going to get a new body. We won't just be disembodied souls floating around on clouds, right? It's 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And then he says, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. In other words, we have to die physically to see a resurrected body. When you sow, you don't plant the body that will be just a seed, perhaps of wheat, of something else. But God gives it a body as he determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Agricultural illustration there. And then Paul says, likewise, there are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. In other words, we're going to have a body. We don't know what it's going to be like. Right. This new spiritual body, this heavenly body we're going to have. But we're going to have some sort of body. It's not going to have all the aches and pains that our bodies do now. Right. There's another image that describes this end restoration, and it's called the New Jerusalem, or other places in Scripture talk about a new heaven and a new earth, as in 2 Peter 3. Here's a, here's a picture of that. Revelations 21, verses 1 and 2. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. If you keep on reading that chapter in Revelations 21, which I invite you to do, later in the chapter it describes this city in the shape of a square with exact measurements of 12,000 stadia. Um, I didn't do all the research to see how big that was. It's kind of a strange shape. It's also really, really tall. Um, it describes the gates. It describes the materials and the colors that it's made out of. And, and it just kind of goes on and on. Now, to understand this, you have to understand something. Revelation is a picture book. And so it gives you all these images, but the images are supposed to evoke a meaning of something, right? So this description of the heavenly city should probably not be taken to mean that every person who gets resurrected is going to live in one green city that's two miles high and only a couple of miles across. But what is a city? What's the, what's the image it's trying to present to us? A city is a center of culture, center of commerce, it's a center of community. The fact that there is a new heaven and a new earth and that we will now have restored bodies indicates there will probably be real daily life that takes place in heaven. We will have community. We'll probably have jobs. Remember, before the fall, Adam had responsibility in the Garden of Eden, right? Right. We'll enjoy culture. There may even be sports, which will make Wes Jackson very happy. <laughs> but all of this will be restored to its original intent and perfection, hmm. right? It, it won't be broken anymore like this world we live in. 
We'll have work, but we won't have toil. Mm. We'll have nature, but we won't have natural disasters. Our bodies won't get diabetes or cancer. We'll have a real life of activity, but the bottom line is it will be in the presence of Jesus. Mm. That's amazing. That's a beautiful picture. That's how Scripture talks about it, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. New heaven and a new earth. I just can't wait to see what that new earth oh, is going to look goodness, like. Think about how amazing the Rocky Mountains look or you know, the waves of the sea just crashing on the coast of Maine or whatever in nature inspires you. Imagine that being restored to something even better. That's kind of how it's talked about. I love how C.S. Lewis talks about that. If you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia series, which is really delightful, in the very last book, at the very end of the very last book, he pictures this, that the characters die and they go into a new Narnia. And one of the characters looks around and describes it as, it was just like the old Narnia except more real. Mm. Great C.S. Lewis sentence. That is. And he talks about all the creation of the different kind of parallel universes he writes about being that way. So that's kind of a picture. So how should we feel about this? Here's how we should feel about this. Hebrews 11 is a great chapter on eternal perspective. And it talks about those who have sacrificed to serve and live a life with God, right? And one of the things it says is that they were looking forward to a city with foundations that was to come. It said that they had not found their own country yet, but they were looking forward to a different one, a heavenly one. In other words, they were living in obedience to God, taking steps of faith, suffering when they needed to suffer because their eyes were not on this creation, but on the next one. They were not living for this life, but for heaven. The Second Corinthians passage you read first at the mm-hmm. very beginning, we actually stopped it halfway through. Here's how it continues. Finish the passage starting with verse 7, Kyler. All right. So verse 7 says, We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Yeah. So there it is. Because we have heaven, because we know we're going to be clothed in our heavenly dwelling, as Paul kind of figuratively and poetically says it. What does he say in verse 8 or verse 9? He says, therefore, so we make it our goal to please him. Whether we're here on earth, whether we're there, because this is true, we make it our goal to please God. We want to live in such a way that God will be pleased with us and will welcome us into that heavenly dwelling one day. In other words, that, that hope of heaven, that expectation we have, will change how we behave right here because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. So our behavior here is impacted by that idea. I have to end with this because we go back to the idea of being face-to-face with Jesus, just being the heart of this belief in heaven. I also cut off the Revelation 21 passage because my favorite verse in that chapter, and really one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, happens to be Revelation 21, verse 3. And this is what it says. After this new heaven and earth drops down out of heaven, and we're standing before the Lord, 
It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Isn't that the best picture of restoration? It really is. Right? That's really what our hearts long for. Right. And that's what our hearts are going to receive one day. Yeah. Man, that's amazing. Well, Alan, so, so with all this talk of heaven, and uh, we touched on a little bit in the previous passage, uh, the Second Corinthians, we make it our goal to please God. Mm-hmm. Let's dig into that a little bit more. What are some applications for us right now as we talk about this? Yeah, I think that's, that's a great question because I think a very easy question that we should be asking in light of that is, do you live for this life or the next one? What's your driving force? Are you living for the things of this world? Are you trying to accrue things for yourself? Are you being rich toward God like Jesus talks about in Luke 12? And I think the idea of heaven should give us the application that because I know one day I will stand before God and that that my life will be examined and I will be held accountable for it. I don't want to live for this temporary life. I want to live for that one that's going to be so much better, that's going to be perfect and last forever. I want to do the things that please God and show that that my desire is actually that next life, the way things should be. So we want to be obedient. We don't want to sin. We want to suffer for our faith if we're called to suffer. We want to invest our time and our energy, our money, our resources in the things that build the kingdom of God, that build basically that next world, and that bring as many people with us into that world as we can. Mm-hmm. All of these things affect how we live now. So that would be the first application, I would say. It's good. Makes sense? Mm-hmm. Here's the second one. I think I have to remind myself about this question a lot. Um, and it's this. Do you desire the conveniences of heaven more than you desire Jesus? Mm. Um, or maybe another way I could say it is, do you desire to escape the broken parts of this world more than you desire to see Jesus face to face. Mm. I do that all the time, Mm -hmm. right? It's just sometimes this world just seems like such a lousy place to be. There's pain. There's tragedy. Mm -hmm. um, There's natural disasters. There's times when money is tight. Mm -hmm. And you just wish that you could live in that world where there's no more tears or death or crying or pain or mourning for the old order has passed away. But you're actually not longing for heaven. What you're really longing is for ease. And I do this all the time. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven when there's no more cold weather. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That, that's stupid. But... <laughs> what, do think, what do you think the ideal temperature of heaven's going to be? Yeah. Uh, well, see, this is my theory that cold weather is of the fall because in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were naked. That's, and they weren't true. cold, so right. it had to have been warm, right? So the Garden of Heaven must be warm. That's right. I'm a Southerner. That's my perspective. Right. Don't write me in the show notes about that comment. Right. Um, I just, But yeah, there's this, this temptation of, I wish I could just escape the inconvenient things of this world. I wish I could escape the things that hurt. I wish I could escape my loneliness. I wish I could escape you fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And, and I find myself longing more for the convenience of escaping that than I do actually seeing Jesus. But then there are those times as I grow that I begin to realize there are some days I just, I would just really like to see him. Mm-hmm. And I don't really care what the rest of heaven is like. Mm-hmm. 
as long as I can just see him. Right. As long as I can just be with him. He's so amazing. Mm. And I feel like the more I grow, the more I see my heart begin to embrace that idea of all I really want is Jesus. And he's going to be the best part of heaven. All the other things are just, you know, happy coincidences. But the real essence that, that our heart should desire is being face-to-face with him. Yeah, that's really good. I heard someone say once that they asked the question, if Jesus wasn't going to be in heaven, would you still want to be there? That's a challenging question. Because yeah. I, I resonate with this, Alan. You know, sometimes I just want the ease of what heaven will be like one day and not so much him. Um, so that's really that's a big question to wrestle with. But I'm glad you posed it. Yeah. So yeah. those are a couple applications I think I and all of us need to think about. And this idea of I believe in heaven. Yeah, it's really good. Well, Alan, thanks again for being on this week's episode, for talking about this stuff with us and, and giving us these good applications. So appreciate it. All right.